Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord God, your word is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than purest honey. As we turn to your scriptures, send your Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and grace so that the good news of your love would shine before our eyes and delight our senses so that we cannot help but respond with wonder, faith, and love. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our coming Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Anyone who has ever been a parent has surely heard far more times than they ever care to remember those three little words that kids cling to more tightly than any stuffed animal they ever owned and which they whip out as their ultimate defense when things are not going their way and all else has failed. It's not fair. We've all heard it. We've all said it. You know, it really bothers us when we perceive that things are not fair in life because we've been led to believe that you should always get what you deserve. It's sort of the American way, isn't it? If you study hard, then you will get into a good school and then get a good job. If you work hard, then you will make a good living. If you follow the rules, then you will stay out of trouble and be rewarded. If you live the right way, then you will win. And conversely, 
If you do not study hard or work hard or follow the rules or live the right way, then, well, you lose. You get what you deserve. And we like that system because it makes us the masters of our own fate. We are in charge of our own destiny. And that sounds especially fair to us, especially those of us who were smart enough and who had the foresight to be born into a life of privilege. And so we even tend to bring this kind of thinking with us into the church if we live the right way and follow the rules, then God will love us and accept us and bless us with the good life we have earned. And if we break the rules and live the wrong way, then God will punish us. You get what you deserve. Now, this is certainly the way the Pharisees tended to view the world. The Pharisees, of course, were the religious leaders who always followed all the rules and obeyed all the commands and who lived the right way, meticulously so. And it really bothered them that this upstart young rabbi named Jesus was always hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and other sinners. He even did the unthinkable. He would eat with them. And then he had the nerve to challenge their authority and their understanding of the law. So finally, they decided that enough was enough, and they were going to put an end to this once and for all. And so one day, Jesus comes to the temple, and he begins teaching, as he often did, and a crowd gathered around to listen to him, as they always did. And while Jesus was teaching, some of the Pharisees and other teachers of the law came to Jesus bringing a woman. And they made the woman stand in front of everyone saying, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Of course, they all knew how much Jesus loved these sinners, especially the women. Let's see if he's willing to insist that she get what she deserves. Now, clearly, this whole thing is a a setup, a trap that has been carefully laid to catch Jesus. I mean, first of all, it's really difficult to be caught in the act of adultery By yourself. According to the law, both parties had to be punished. On top of that, the Pharisees knew full well that according to Roman law, the Jews were not allowed to carry out capital punishment. And so if Jesus insisted that they stone the woman as the law required, well then the Roman soldiers would come looking for him and that would be the end of Jesus. On the other hand, if Jesus told them to let the woman go, then he would prove to everyone that he was unwilling to stand up for the law of Moses, thus discrediting himself as a teacher, as a prophet, as Messiah. Oh, they had Jesus between a rock and a hard place, and I'm sure they could barely contain themselves as they started passing out stones among the crowd. 
But Jesus did not say a word. Instead, he did something very odd. He bent down to the ground and he started writing with his finger in the sand. Now, the text does not tell us what Jesus wrote, and that has led to endless amounts of speculation. Some have thought that maybe Jesus was writing out the Ten Commandments, or maybe Jesus was writing the sins of the woman's accusers. Some have suggested that maybe in Roman fashion, Jesus was writing out the woman's sentence before verbally declaring it. But I think all of that kind of misses the point. You know, usually when the text does not tell us something, it typically means that it is not what is most important and we shouldn't focus on it. And I think Jesus scribbling in the sand had a far more subtle purpose. Now, when those Pharisees first brought that woman to Jesus, they made her stand there in front of the entire crowd as they proclaimed her great sin. Now, for the Jews, adultery was one of the three worst crimes in their society, along with idolatry and murder. And so for having committed such a heinous, unthinkable crime as idolatry, the law insisted that this woman deserved to die. And the Pharisees knew full well that that crowd would hardly need but a nudge to be transformed into a lynch mob. And whether they lynched the woman or Jesus, they didn't care. Either way, they win. So they're in the midst of this now bloodthirsty, angry crowd. The woman was standing there alone, probably naked, shivering in her humiliation and her shame and her fear, knowing that her life was about to end in a horrible way. We don't know why this woman committed adultery. Maybe she was chasing after intimacy that she couldn't find in her loveless marriage. Or maybe she had been forced into this by powerful people. Or maybe she was just a poor peasant who had been seduced by the promise of money that could help keep her family alive. Who knows? But clearly, Jesus did not care. Because when he looked at her, he saw something that nobody else did. He saw a wounded, hurting human being, a suffering child of God, and his heart went out to her. Now, to the Pharisees, this woman was just a tool, a a weapon to be used to destroy their enemy. To the crowd, she was but a, a scapegoat, someone on whom they could take out all of their own frustrations and anger and guilt. None of them saw her as a person in need. 
Now, to them, she was just a, a, a target, an object, something less than human. I mean, that's what sin does to us, after all. It dehumanizes us. It damages the image of God within us and makes us less than what God created us to be. And that made it easy for the crowd to focus all of their own pent-up frustrations on this woman as they all got their rocks ready to throw. But then... Jesus bent down and started scribbling on the ground. And he kept scribbling on the ground. And finally, the the crowd started getting antsy and the Pharisees started to grumble. What is he doing? Can anyone even read what he's writing there? Is he even paying any attention to us? We are very important people. Doesn't he know who we are? How dare he do this to us? And so the Pharisees and the crowd began to get angrier and angrier. And this woman, who just a moment before had a bullseye painted on her forehead, suddenly realizes that no one is paying any attention to her. I mean, they, they seem to have forgotten all about her. Instead, all of their anger is focused on this man, this, this Jesus. And they're ready to pounce on him instead. In fact, that, that almost seems to have been his goal. But, but why would he do that? For me. And just when the commotion reached a fever pitch, Jesus finally stood up and said, Let the one without sin cast the first stone. And all those hands suddenly seemed to have a very hard time holding on to their rocks. And they all looked to the eldest of the Pharisees to see what he would do. And since nobody wanted to publicly claim to be sinless, a claim that he would never be able to live down as long as he lived, the Pharisee had to drop his rock in shame and walk away. And so then the crowd looked to the next oldest among the Pharisees to see what he would do. And he too then had to drop his rock and walk away. And they looked to the next eldest and on and on until one by one, all of Jesus' opponents began to leave. But now it was they who were each alone in their humiliation. For in refusing to cast that stone, they were publicly admitting that they were just as guilty, just as much of a sinner as that woman. And yet, in continuing to go back and write on the ground, 
keeping his own head down and drawing attention onto himself, Jesus gave to those people who had come to destroy him, his enemies, the same grace that he had given to the woman. And when finally everyone was gone except the woman and Jesus, he finally stood up again and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I. Now go and do not sin anymore. Well, now, wait a minute. I mean, that, that, that's it? He's just letting her off the hook? Not even a bad dog sermon? I mean, hadn't this woman just broken the law and committed a terrible sin? I mean, shouldn't there be consequences for our actions? Aren't we supposed to get what we deserve? I mean, that's what we want, isn't it? That's what's fair. But Jesus was not born into this world to give us what we deserve, to do what is fair. And that's the best news I have for you. Because the truth is, just like this woman, all of us are sinners who have wandered far away from God and our addiction to sin has marred the image of God within us and made us less than what God created us to be. And according to the Apostle Paul, the wages of our sin is death. It's it's what all of us deserve. So when it comes to God, the last thing any of us should want is fairness. It's certainly the last thing that we need. No, what we need is mercy and forgiveness, and acceptance, and love, and no one ever deserves those things. No, they are always and only a gift of grace. And grace is God's determination to give us not what we deserve, but what we need. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And what we cannot do is climb our way out of the sin-filled hole that we have dug ourselves into. So in the birth of Jesus, God himself came down into that hole to find us, to take us by the hand and lead us home so that we might become what we were created to be. See, that's why Jesus came, to give us grace rather than judgment. I mean, Jesus knew full well that that people like this woman who were lost under the power of sin didn't need any more judgment. She was probably doing plenty of that herself. And yet, her judgment didn't just go away. Instead, Jesus took the judgment for her. 
absorbing the anger and the frustration of those Pharisees in the crowd for her onto himself so that she might live. And that woman had to know that this was not finished. Jesus had humiliated powerful people on their own turf and they would be back with a vengeance. Oh, Jesus was going to pay for what he had done for her. Be very sure. Grace may be freely offered as a gift, but it is never cheap. And yet, it is Jesus who pays the price on our behalf. And for God, no price is too great to pay for you, not even the life of his own son, because you are his beloved child, created in his own image for a holy purpose. And God would even go to hell and back to save you. But all those who truly receive this costly gift of grace in their own lives can never be the same again. I mean, how do you go back to life as usual when Jesus has taken on the judgment that you deserved and given you life, his own life instead? How do you respond to so great a gift? You know, I think it's interesting that the ending of this story is missing. We don't know what happened to this woman. Did she go back to her sinful ways again? Or did she become a new person, transformed by the costly grace of Jesus? You know, it's Not as simple of a choice as it might seem. For grace is costly for us as well. Oh, it it may be freely given, but it will cost you your whole life. As Jesus calls you to take up your cross and follow him. For only those who lose their life for the Savior's sake will truly find it. And this woman had to decide how she was now going to live her life in response to the costly, undeserved gift of grace that Jesus had given her. And so do we. And so maybe, maybe the ending to this story isn't missing after all. Maybe it is being written every day in the life of all those who receive the gracious gift of the Christ child and who then become grace givers in their own lives as well. 
Maybe it's being written in your life and in mine by all those who respond faithfully and gratefully to the good news of God's grace that in Jesus Christ you are loved and accepted and forgiven and saved because Jesus has taken on the judgment that you deserved so that you might live. As the Apostle Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And thanks be to God, there is nothing fair about that. Amen.